Join us as we go beyond the pixels in the Gamer's Edge podcast, the show that takes you behind the scenes of video gaming. Each episode dives into the realms of gaming and eSports bringing you exclusive interviews with both rising stars and seasoned veterans, coaches, insightful commentators, and industry leaders. So whether you're an aspiring pro gamer, a dedicated fan, or simply curious about the inner workings of gaming and eSports, grab your headset and join us on this thrilling adventure through the virtual arenas where victory, camaraderie, and endless adventure await. Hey guys, and welcome into another episode of the Gamer's Edge podcast. Hopefully you're enjoying the last couple of ones here, uh, especially the last one featuring the Spaceman as we sent that one to the moon, uh, talking Rocket League and everything with him. Today I am here with the winningest coach in console esports history. What is going on, Ashes? How are we doing today? What's up, man? Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Uh, and that was quite the introduction, man. Uh, I, I'm going to need you to like, go with me everywhere I go so that I can like, you're going to be like my Paul Heyman if you're uh, watching the WWE at all. Uh, well, I guess I can. I don't show them too much, but I have all my wrestling figures and everything. And, there and you go. Love that. A little bit of inside that no one ever knows that. Yeah, I'm a I'm a closet wrestling fan. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an open wrestling fan, man. I I grew up watching wrestling as a kid, like like die hard. I was at like when I'm gonna get nerdy for a second, but like when Goldberg lost his his undefeated streak, I was there and I sobbed like uncontrollably as a child the whole way home. Um, yeah, huge wrestling. Even in college, man, I was like gathering everybody in my dorm around to watch like John Cena versus The Rock. And yeah, anyways, that's no, not the hey. point of this, but. <laughs> I'm still a wrestling fan. I'm the the it's it's a men's soap opera. Like let's let's call it what it really is. I mean that's the way I see it at least, and, and I still love it. And I've heck, I've even my wife gets mad because we we pack oh, yeah. gold around here. So oh yeah, she was now like I'm you, jealous. You really bought that. Yeah, I really bought that. <laughs> now I'm jealous. So, well then, uh, what is? Do you have maybe a favorite piece of merch or memorabilia? Not, not even per se from wrestling, just in general. Yeah. Okay. Um, I do. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to get it for a second. Um, so I started when we got a Halo team at Complexity. Uh, one of the players was uh, Hysteria, and Hysteria's main gig, his daytime thing, is uh, he does Pokemon pack openings on his stream, and he has a shop set up, so he'll sell Pokemon packs. You you know buy through his website, and he'll break the pack on stream and send you the cards. And um, to support him, I bought a couple packs on his stream, and I like. I thought it was kind of odd. Like, why was it I want somebody else to open my packs? Like, I didn't understand that. But watching him open the packs and, like, that lottery of, like, you know, they, they set it so the very last card is going to be the rare one, hypothetically. And so when it wasn't the rare one, I'm like, oh, okay, now I get this. Like, this is an addiction thing. Buy more. Come on, let's keep it going. And, uh, and so that got me kind of back into Pokemon a little bit. 
and sparked my love for like my original OG. This is going to be super cliche, but my OG favorite Pokemon, which was Pikachu. And so I started collecting Pikachu things and uh, cards, especially like got my parents to ship me my whole old Pokemon collection and pulled all my vintage Pikachu cards. And my wife got me, uh, I'm going to grab it real quick, but it's this really cool Pikachu slash like unofficial Demon Slayer collab if you watch anime at all. Oh, yeah. Uh, so give me one sec. I'll grab it. No, no. <laughs> All right. So, like I said, it's unofficial, but I don't know if the camera's really going to focus on it, but it's, a, it's him dressed up. Oh, in yeah, that, yeah. Like that outfit. There it um, goes. And so I, I love this thing. Uh, I don't know if it's like, you know, whoever's making it, it's legal for them to make it. But I absolutely love this thing because I love Demon Slayer and uh, I love Pikachu. So seeing the, the Tanjiro Pikachu is making me happy. <laughs> yeah, I, I would say for me, I've got two items. Um, Air Gear is one of my favorite animes. And my okay. wife, we went to a con and i walked right past the booth and i didn't even notice it and she was like hey babe like come over here and uh this is the the character fang king his voice actor was there so i got to meet him and get an autograph with him and over on one of my videos i met the guy um that voice is uh oh man i'm blinking out the main guy from haiku the volleyball anime oh yeah um, uh i can't remember the name i've only seen like one episode of that i need to watch more well I, I met him and got to talk to him but my number one thing um i lost my brother when i was 20 and he was 28 but he well i'm from victoria uh, mm -hmm. which of course is like 20 minutes outside of edna and my brother worked with stone cold steve austin's first brother-in-law from his first marriage and so for the past 18 years from when i met stone cold steve austin i got a steve weiser <laughs> with his autograph on it that's so uh, sick so the fact that i met stone cold is awesome but the fact that my brother set it up so i could meet him and get his yeah. autograph uh, no that's awesome man it's got like a dual meaning to it that's so sick. exactly and and I saw the silent flex as you as you got up there rocking the optic chair. I see you. Uh yeah, this is this needs to get replaced. I'm uh I'm in the market for a new chair. I've had this chair since oh gosh, like 2017, I want to say, and uh it's just the only chair that has survived the test of time. All my I've broken pretty much all my other chairs. Um so yeah, I definitely need a new one. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, respawn. Hey, um I'm a part of the respawn recruits like little thing right now. So mm -hmm. respawn, why don't y'all reach out uh, to my boy Ashes here, get him set up with a chair, <laughs> hook him up. Uh, yeah, please. But I know, man, I know we talked previously and kind of had some questions lined out and stuff and we're already going left turn here. So, I, I, <laughs> but I'm, I'm loving this so far. Uh, my main goal for this is definitely to kind of, make people realize that you guys are more than just a name on a screen you know when y'all are playing and everything like that 
And I think that gets lost on people at times. You know, they start rooting for teams and you see the team lose or something like that. And people pile on. Um, the most recent example, you know, the optic chair kind of refreshes my memory here, is when optic halo was struggling a little bit. People were really piling onto APG, and I just mm -hmm. don't think they realized exactly what his role is. Everybody kind of harps on him for not being this major slayer. That's not his role on the team. And uh, luckily, APG's you know solid. He's stood the test of time. You know he's not worried yeah. about what the fans say. But you have these young up and comers, and I know you being the you know, director of talent, you deal with a lot of these younger guys. So how do you help them prepare mentally for this journey? That's a really great question. And I think you're spot on where the community often looks almost too closely at, you know, stat lines and scoreboards. And they don't think about the fact that like every player has a role on the team, right? And for somebody like APG, if you go back and watch, like, yeah, sure, everybody has bad games. And there's probably games that you can find where APG didn't play up to his own standards or the standards of the team or or whatever grading scale you want to use. But most of the time, even if he has bad stats, he's doing the dirty work of the team. And it's like, there's only so many kills that could realistically happen on the map in any kind of game. And if you team, you're teaming with people like Lucid and Trippy and Formal, like, somebody is not going to have the same stat line as the others, right? And APG is like that guy who will, you know, do whatever needs to be done to win the game. And he's comfortable with the fact that, you know, I'm, I'm teaming with goats, basically. Like, I've got Formal, I've got Trippy, I've got Lucid. All of these guys are such phenomenal players. I don't need to, you know, try extra hard to pad my stats and boost my KDA. Like, I can hold the ball, I can run the flag. I can do the other things or even just run in and get the initial damage so that my teammates can clean it up because they're goats. And at the end of the day, their goal is to win, not to necessarily look great individually. The goal is to lift the trophy. And so yeah. dealing with younger players, oftentimes they don't really understand that. They focus so much on what that stat line is and that hype that you know gets given to them from the community if they get an overkill or if they do some sort of amazing flashy play. And so part of working with young players like that, you really have to keep them grounded of like, Hey, look, it's great. I want you to pop off. I want you to have your fame and your moment, but also we're here to win, right? Like that's our objective. Our objective is not to be like the flashiest loser. Our objective is to be the most consistent winner. And so keeping them in that mindset of like, I'm doing whatever it takes to win. And some players can adapt to it and other players can't. And that's fine. Um, you know, I understand it. Uh, you might not be the right fit for the team, but I, I get when people want to be that flashy, high KD player. Um, but realistically, like the goal is to win. And so as long as everybody's bought into that idea, then they usually will start shifting their mindsets if they did have that kind of behavior before. Now, kind of talking about mindset here y'all are about to come up though against these guys we've got a stacked texas bracket uh coming for halo worlds of course this episode will you know come out just a few weeks after worlds but right now you're prepping for that uh, what's the mindset going into the halo world championship 
Yeah, you know, the guys are hard at work. Um, I I don't sit in on all their practices, but I keep an eye on like, you know, Halo Data Hive and how they're doing and um, their scrim schedule. And um, they're putting in the hours to try to be the best version of themselves and, and give the best performance that they possibly can at Worlds. And that's really all that we can ask for. Um, you know, we're up against really good teams. You've got Optic in our pool and you've got uh, G1 in our pool. And then I don't remember, remember off the top of my head who the international team is uh it might be impact um but you know it is a really stacked pool in that regard that you have the you know the most recent champions and you have a really strong hungry g1 roster i mean those guys are insanely talented and at any moment they can cause upsets and lord knows they beat the hell out of us at the space station invitational so uh you know you you can't underestimate any of them and Luckily, our team has three veteran minds on it and then a young gun with Carmea. So they have the right internal mindset of knowing, like, this is going to be war, but we can do it. Like, any team can win on any given day. So uh, I'm confident in the guys. You know, I, I think that they're going to give it their best shot. And I think if they play the way that I know they can play and the way that they know they can play, they can beat any of those teams in their pool. Gotcha. Well, just to backtrack, just in case anybody doesn't know, I know I introduced you as the winningest coach in console history. But in case you haven't picked up on it yet, and of course I'm wearing the Complexity jersey today, uh, Ashes here is the director of talent for Complexity. Uh, so kudos on, you know, the the longevity and everything like that, and you know, being able to stay here in the esports you know realm uh, for so long. And congratulations on your spot with Complexity. Uh, but I would like to rewind way back and ask you kind of what first inspired you to get involved in esports, and how did you make the transition from being a player to a coach to now a talent manager? Yeah, uh, well, thank you. Uh, I love being part of Complexity, and and it's really an honor to be able to have such a, a strong role with a, a long-term reputable brand in esports. Um, I got started in competitive gaming. I mean, I was always a competitive kid, right? Like all the, you know, young kid, intramural sports, basketball, t-ball, you know, everything that I could play as a kid, I, my parents were signing me up for. And I think that sparked the competitive side of me. And then I got, you know, that love for video games kind of continued to grow. And when I finally got Xbox Live, uh, which was way late into the, the existence of Xbox Live, like I didn't get it until I had an Xbox 360. And uh, I started playing Gears of War online multiplayer. And originally I hated that game, but I loved uh, doing the chainsaw glitch in multiplayer. And I, it just entertained the heck out of me. And so uh, I had some friends who were like, hey, look, we, we have this site that we know about called Game Battles. Uh, we're going to sign up and make a team. Do you want to join? And I was like, yeah, sure, let's do it. And I mean, we were terrible, uh, but that was like, the first introduction to like a structured competitive format for video games. And then it just kept going from there. You know, the, the game battles process of like, okay, that team disbands, you find a new team, you're slowly getting better. The quality of the teams, your ons are slowly getting better. And then I learned about LAN events and MLG events and uh, was watching those online and finally found myself in a position where I was on a team that we were going to go to an MLG event. And so that was like a whole new door opening for me was that first live MLG event experience at uh, Meadowlands in 2009. And uh, my team was terrible. We did terribly. But it was such a cool experience seeing like 
holy crap, like this is what competitive gaming could be. It's not just me and my friends like playing Halo free for all on split screen. It's yeah. like, it's all of this. It's stadium seating and posters of Walshy and, you know, stride girls walking around handing out free gum and like all of this crazy convention stuff around video games was like, this is it. Like I need, this is my calling. Um, unfortunately, as time went on and I went into college, I realized pretty quickly that I didn't have the thumbs is what I say uh, to be, you know, a pro player. I was always like the team captain. So I was always doing all of the extra stuff and IGLing, but I never really had the same mechanical level as like the players that I could get around me. And so in college, I took a step back and I was like, look guys, like my grades are dropping. I'm holding us back. Why don't you just let me be like team manager and I'll get us signed up for tournaments and schedule scrims and all that stuff. So you don't have to worry about it. And you guys like, let's find somebody better than me to replace me on the team. And we did that. And I still felt like I was scratching that competitive itch of like, okay, I get to like be a part of the team, even if I'm not playing and I'm still as emotionally invested as if we're winning or losing and what tournaments we're in and those results. Um, and that kind of just continued to grow. It was, you know, various League of Legends teams. And then I kind of shifted back to Gears of War and uh, found that young group of guys with uh, lava and mental explosive and solars. And, uh, you know, the rest is kind of history. They let me start giving them feedback and we started winning and it just continued to take off. Uh, shout out to those guys. Epic names that you're dropping there from the gear scene. <laughs> uh, now, of course, Gears of War, that has that unique competitive landscape compared to other esports. Uh, what are some of the challenges and rewards of coaching a team in that game, especially when you got a guy like Mental on your team who is by far one of the goats uh, of the gear scene? Yeah, Men Mental is, I mean, he's an unbelievable player. Um, but it was, it was really interesting because when I came back to Gears from League of Legends, it was... It was very odd because League of Legends was so much more developed than Gears was. So League of Legends, you had, you know, I had the team schedule planned out two weeks in advance. They knew every single day what time they needed to be on. They knew what teams they were scrimming on what days. They knew, like, what practice things they were going over each day. We had a coaching staff that wasn't me, but, like, I, you know, would shadow them, basically, and learned a ton from them. And it was just so much more professional and developed, even though we were amateur-level League of Legends teams. And so when I came back to Gears, it was still that old school culture of like, all right, is everybody on? Cool. Like, let's tweet out. We need a scrim. Let's play. And I was like, why are we doing this? Like, why don't we know who we're playing tomorrow? Or why don't you guys know like, hey, I need to be on at 7 p.m. or whatever the case may be. And so we started slowly shifting. And I remember the community, like, it was like pulling teeth trying to get the community to like transition to this more professional thing. And I mean, I... I hate like saying that it was because of me because there was a lot of different parties involved that finally like helped make the switch. But I want to say that I played a, a very spearheaded, you know, role in changing the gear scene into being more professional in that regard, because I was one of the first ones who was messaging teams and like, Hey, like we're going to be on at five o'clock on Friday. Would you like to scrim us at five 30 or, and like slowly getting teams to realize, oh, yeah, we can schedule in advance. And that makes things easy because I know when my team's going to be on. Yeah. And luckily, you know, Gears was starting to do its kind of resurgence of 
Uh, Gears Ultimate Edition was coming back out, and so there was more hype, and a lot of the old veteran pros were returning. And uh, I remember the difficulties we faced where nobody really believed in the guys that I linked up with because, you know, Lava had been to some, like, local LAN events before, uh, and so had Mental, but they never really won any of, like, the big majors, and now that all the old-school MLG pros were back, it was like, these guys are online kids, they're really good online, they've never done anything on LAN, the one kid's never even been to a LAN event, like, this team's ass, basically. And I saw something special in those guys, and thinking back on it, I don't know what it was that really, like, clicked for me, seeing them play, but I could tell there was something different about them. And like even even like you know after i joined the team i was in their skype call because everybody used skype back then and their skype calls would like be running for hundreds of hours straight like just they wouldn't hang up or they would game into the night until they literally passed out talking to each other like they were like just a true like brotherhood of friends who were all really really talented at gears and i think that might have been something special that i saw like okay, if we get together on a land event, we're going to trust each other and be able to face anything we could possibly face. And that was true. So we, we had an online pro league and we did really well. And everyone was like, it's online. Of course they're doing well. And we went to the land event and uh, we were down 03 in the finals, I think of a best of seven or it might've been 04 in a best of five or best of nine, sorry. And uh, we reverse swept them and won the event. And it was our first time on land together. And that moment of like showing the structure and preparedness that I could bring to the team. Cause I had a, I still have the notebook. I wish I would have brought it upstairs for this, but like it was a hotel, like um, note tablet that I had just wrote out like strats for every team tendencies of every team. So that like on stage, I could be like, okay, we're playing this team. Okay. Here's what they're going to do. If you see this, it means this, we need to do this. Like get us just as ready as possible. And, it it showed, I think, that having that could be beneficial. And I think that kind of started shifting the mindset of the community because I wasn't even allowed to spectate scrims. Like, there was teams that wouldn't let me in the lobby. They were just like, oh, you're going to tell them what we're doing. And I'm like, no, I don't give a damn what you're doing. I care what my guys are doing. You guys yeah. can do anything you want. But it, uh, it changed. It, a lot of things changed, and it showed, hey, like, coaching and management and having support staff around players is important in esports. Um, and I was excited to, you know, and fond of that memory to be a part of that. Yeah, I also, you've seen several times where coaches kind of come in and just help the mental regain, especially, you know, on a chance to reverse sweep and everything like that. Some players will get flustered and you just need that calming voice to kind of say, hey, guys, we've trained for this. Yeah, absolutely. I think having that that third-party perspective that a coach can provide where yes they're invested in the success of the team but they're not emotionally invested in oh i missed that shot or i messed up and misrolled there or whatever the case may be um they can kind of clear those emotional blockers out and focus on like hey guys we got this we practiced for this we've done this a million times these guys aren't good come on we got this now going from the coaching side into kind of what you do right now as the director of talent for complexity what do you look for in emerging esports athletes and are there specific qualities or skills that make someone stand out to you 
Yeah, I mean, I like players who have outgoing personalities. Um, I like players who are mature. I think that, you know, obviously mechanical talent is super important, but something that I have always believed has helped the success of my teams is looking for players who are really good at the game but are almost better friends, uh, people that you want to, you know, hang out with outside of practice and scrims because I feel like if it becomes too structured of, like, this is a, like, work or business relationship, then you don't have that same chemistry and trust that you would if, like, all right, yeah, scrims are done. Like, let's, you know, go out to eat or scrims are done. Let's hop on this other game and, and play that game or whatever the case may be. And that was something that I think always helped the success of my previous teams. So as I look to build rosters, I want players who are going to get along with each other and have the potential to build that friendship um, because you can learn the game and learn the mechanics. That's stuff I'm not worried about. It's easier to teach that than it is to teach two people who don't like each other to be friends. Yeah, and that goes to Scump has said it before. Uh, Flame Sword said it on one of the previous interviews. A big part of being on a team is that team chemistry. So if you can find guys that are already friends, already have that chemistry, I'm sure that just makes it even easier for you. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, like, there's obviously other things like leadership characteristics because there's different roles on every team. Um, so you need somebody who can be that like in-game leader or that team captain. But realistically, I try to focus on like, do they have the right talent? Do they have the hunger to learn and win? And will they get along personality-wise with the other players on the team? Now, we've talked about going from League of Legends back to Gears of War and the progression that you've kind of helped spearhead here. So how have you seen the industry evolve over the years and where do you see it going in the next decade, especially concerning console gaming as Call of Duty and stuff like that goes to PC? We see Apex, uh, shout out Monsoon and the boys. Uh, I know he was a little down on himself on the uh, results, but end of the day, they still made worlds. They still did what they had to do. So congratulations to Complexity on that and, and to Monsoon and the boys for that. Uh, but where do you see esports evolving into? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that esports has been through a weird phase where it became the popular hot thing. And because of that, a lot of money got involved very quickly and then started getting spent very quickly. And I don't think everyone had really fully thought out the plan of, okay, how do we turn this into something that drives revenue so that that money that's being spent comes back and is a sustainable business. And that's kind of what we're seeing right now. Like we're not in uh, an esports Armageddon. It's not doomsday. It's just a market correction that's necessary for the longevity of the industry. Because realistically, there's way too many people watching all of these different esports events. There's way too many players who want to be involved and are trying to be competitors for this industry to quote unquote die, like a lot of you know the the negative voices will say on Twitter. It's it's too strong for that. It's gonna be around, it's gonna survive. As long as there's two people who want to play a video game and want to compete against each other, esports will be a thing. So I think we're gonna see a correction, and I'm excited to see what comes out of the other side and how that becomes a more sustainable business. Um I think that franchising was probably Personally, I think franchising might have been a little bit premature. I think the concept and the idea 
and the goals of franchising to help it be sustainable for everybody involved, players, orgs, um, was the right idea, but maybe not the right execution. Um, so I'm hopeful that, you know, maybe we'll see a reset there or just a, a restructuring of what that franchising looks like. Uh, I, I like to applaud Halo all the time for what they do with their partner program because there's still opportunity for new orgs that are getting involved in Halo to prove that they're worthy of that partnership program. But it's not as locked in so that if you're not in that program, Halo's not viable. And it's still open events and it's still anybody, any group of friends could show up to an event and make top eight and be a pro team. So I love that open atmosphere, especially because it's what I grew up, grew up on. But um, I think that there's just a lot of rebuilding and a lot of questions of what that looks like in the future. So going back, I know that's a long-winded answer, but going back to what your question was, I am excited for, you know, in the next decade, esports to be in a position where, A, it's much more um, welcoming as a whole to all types of people, and that we see, you know, for example, like more women who are competing at the top level on co-ed teams. I'm excited for competition to me to be more frequently, almost like you can watch an NFL game, you know, every single week. Um, I, I'm excited for larger events, and I would love to see us go back to some things where it's like old MLG days where there's three different games having their major tournaments at one event, or even like dream hacks and, and massive like IEM events where there can be multiple games at that one event. So I'm hopeful for the future of that's what esports looks like because I think that's where the magic is. Definitely. And I actually couldn't agree more. I, I don't get to talk about it too much. Uh, me and Sean delve into it just a little bit on uh, the previous interview, but I'm actually right in the same boat as you. I truly hope uh, the acquisition of Activision by Microsoft, then they will control Call of Duty and Halo. I would love to go to like being in Texas. I would love to go to a Dallas Fort Worth event where I get to watch Halo. Hey, this Halo match just ended. Oh, look, I can turn this way. Now go down this hall. Okay, I can go to the Call of Duty major. That would be uh, amazing if we shifted back towards a MLG days of these big events, uh, especially yeah. when you see, you hear some of the owners and everything like that and like the guard, what just happened to the guard, unfortunately. Um, as they buy in to the Call of Duty League, the Overwatch League, what we've seen been going on with that league and everything like that, the super high buy-ins from, like you said, the, the money being invested and coming in during the COVID era, as I like to call it, where everybody's just at home. So esports is, you know, ballooning immensely. But now as everybody shifts back to a normal life and goes and enjoys the outdoors and goes back to work, the deflation of that uh, a little bit and eyes coming off of esports, but still the dedicated fan is here to drive this forward still, uh, yeah. if that makes sense. No, I mean, you're completely right. And I, I think that it also is super unfortunate that all of this seemed to happen along the same timeline as a global economic recession. And so not only are you having the internal struggles of the industry, but then you're having those external struggles of, you know, normal sponsorship dollars and marketing dollars that wanted to get into esports because it is the shiny new toy on the block. Um, 
they're like oh whoa, whoa 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 okay hold on let's stick to what works let's not try new things let's cut back costs a little bit and we'll you know survive the recession and then we'll remeasure and so you know unfortunately that was a lot of money that i think was expected to be involved in the esports industry so that also forced a lot of organizations to go like okay crap like these people aren't putting the money in that's kind of what we were banking on so I think there's a lot of learning and a lot of growing for everyone to do um, and it's going to affect a lot of people and it's I, I feel really bad for all the people who have already been affected by layoffs and things within the industry um, but I think overall long term it'll be a net positive as we learn to make this thing that we all love so much a sustainable business definitely give me a second here my screen decided that I wanted to screw up this will be a clip moment real here I'll run like a sponsor ad right here <laughs> all good all right there we go sorry my for some reason the uh Microsoft Word minimized and I brought it back up and it was like, no, you, you're just looking at blank. And I was like, what? Let me, let me reload my document. What the hell just happened here? All right. Well, going from the future of esports to the future of complexity, uh, of course, y'all have made significant strides here in the recent years. What's the future vision for the organization, especially in terms of talent development and acquisition? Yeah. So, you know, Something that my boss, uh, Soren, and I both look for in talent is looking for those people who we believe are going to be the up-and-comers. And obviously, there's really amazing tools like StreamHatcher, for example, that are uh, available to us to uh, measure kind of the analytics of you know different streamers and, and content creators. But um, a lot of it also comes down to just passions. So, you know, for example, like... We were, I, I was super passionate about TFT. I, I love the game. I love Teamfight Tactics. I watched TFT streamers all the time. And so I came to my bosses and I was like, hey, I would like to sign a TFT streamer. And I have one in mind and her name's Emily and she's fantastic. And so, you know, a couple months later, we have Emily Wang on the roster and she's killing it. And she's blown up. Like her stream is like tripled or quadrupled in size. Um, and she deserves every ounce of the success that she's seeing as a streamer and a creator. And so like that is what we aim to do. Like our goal is to find those gems and then help helpfully give them a platform to be able to find that success. Um, a lot of my job is just helping take care of the back end stuff so that they can just focus on being a streamer or a creator or a pro player. Um, and so I think, you know, that is the stuff that I get excited about and look forward to as I'm, you know, scouting new streamers or, or new content creators or even pro players is just like, find those gems, find the young talent as a pro player who like shows the signs of they're going to be great in a year or two. Um, take those people and give them the right support and watch them bloom into this amazing player or amazing creator. Nice. Well, if y'all ever dive into podcast hosts, I might know a guy. <laughs> <laughs> no, but are there any mistakes? Yeah. Uh, is there any 
like mistakes or misconceptions that you see these newer talents start to make that you want to just advise like, hey, don't don't go this route. Don't go this path. Uh, anything for anybody to avoid? Um, I mean, I think there, there's a bunch of like cliche lessons, obviously, like I think being true to yourself and being true to what you enjoy is really important for content creators and pro players, honestly. If you're not enjoying what you're doing, you're not going to be able to keep it up and, and make that a sustainable thing. So, you know, for me, I, I if I back in the day, like I would get burnout on playing gears every single day, but I was streaming gears every single day. And it was super frustrating that if I didn't stream gears and I streamed some other game that I was enjoying, like Apex, I, my viewership would be cut by, you know, in half. And so I think for content creators, it's a lot of just finding that thing that you enjoy and and that enjoyment and that passion and excitement that you have naturally will come across to your viewers and they'll latch onto that and they'll support you because that is almost like a, a infectious thing. Like if you see someone happy and laughing and enjoying themselves, you want to be happy and laugh and enjoy yourself too. Uh, for pro players, kind of the same thing. Like if you're not passionate about the game that you're competing in, it's probably not going to be a successful venture for you. Like, yeah, you might be able to go pro, but you might not become as good as you would if you were competing in a game that you really enjoy. Excuse me. Um, so many players and, and creators are, are focused on the money. And I think if you approach it with that in mind, it's going to distract you from the core things that I just mentioned. I, I think like that's almost the wrong headspace to go about or the, the wrong mindset to go into this with. I think it's just, you know, following and pursuing those passions and those dreams. The the money and everything else will come down the line. But like if you're just getting into it or even if you're you've been into it for a while but you're smaller, like sticking with it, being consistent and following those passions are what's important. Yeah. And wrapping back to what we initially started talking about, uh look at Formal. He was you know, unhappy with the state of Call of Duty, he leaves Call of Duty, goes to his original passion, Halo, and he's killing it right now in Halo. Uh, his Watson in Apex, he took a step back after being MVP, world champion, takes a step back, leaves competition, and just starts grinding ranked and playing with friends again, refines his passion for it, and is loving it again, uh, loving the game. So that, I guess you could say, mental awareness to know that hey i'm not happy just doing this one thing let me stay true to myself and do what's making me happy huge thing especially in this state where you know you producing content and playing video games and stuff like that you know is what you do you gotta make sure you're happy with it yeah if you're if you're passionate about what you're doing if you love what you're doing you'll never work a day in your life and how do you continue to grow and evolve in the ever-changing like landscape that is complexity and esports as well? Uh, I know when we were talking with Flame Sword about the progression of status quo, they were doing they they have a team now with these land events where it's full VR guys are in headsets running around. How do you find that next talent? How do you evolve complexity uh, in that? And how do you yourself? evolve in your role with complexity yeah uh, that's super interesting um so a big part of evolving an org and, and staying on top of um i guess the growth of the industry is staying on top of what 
the trends are, what the hot new game is. Um, you know, for example, like when Fortnite came out, right? Like the early adopters of Fortnite, uh, like I'm going to use Ninja as an example since he's part of our parent company's family. Um, Ninja was early on the Fortnite train. And I remember a lot of people going like, why would you switch from H1Z1 or PUBG to Fortnite? Like, this is ridiculous. This game's cartoon. It's for kids. Like, he was getting all kinds of flack. His viewership was not great. But he stuck to it because he saw that's the trend. That's going to be the game. That's, you know, it. And sure enough, Fortnite became literally the game that everybody in the world knew second to maybe Mario. So I think if you're able to keep your finger on the pulse, and I know that's super cliche to say, but if you're able to follow those trends and keep an eye on like what games are coming out, uh, are they going to be viable for multiplayer, esports, competitive? Um, I think then if you have that good concept and you stay in tune with that and you're just passionate about gaming, then it's, you know, I don't want to say easy, but it's, it makes it a lot easier uh, to stay on top of, you know, the next big thing and then be able to find the right talent for it because those right talent are going to be the other people who are passionate gamers, early adopters, and, you know, committing to this game because they fell in love with it. So uh, as we continue to see esports bloom and develop, I think that's going to be the, the focus um, that will be important for all orgs, including in complexity, is to just keep their finger on the pulse. Uh, for myself, I think a, going into this director of talent role uh, requires a lot of growth for me because uh, I am at my core, you know, a gears coach, right? Like, so it's a little bit more rowdy and it's a little bit more rough, but, and there's a lot more, you know, um, noise, I guess you could say, involved from all just like the passion uh, of gaming and esports and in that community. Um, so it's definitely like, having to take a step back and be much more calculated and uh, responsible and thorough with my thoughts uh, and, and how I approach different situations. Whereas like, you know, when I was the gears coach, it was like, okay, I was just the gears coach. Like this, I could go on Twitter and be like, Hey, this sucks. Change it. The whole community agrees with me. But now it's like, I represent more than just, you know, that I represent, uh, a, a large organization and a historic organization and there's responsibility with that and there's a lot that I've learned about the industry that I wasn't even aware of or, or wasn't familiar with and uh, from from people like my boss Soren um, and it's just it's important for me personally to continue to grow no matter what role I'm in so even when I was coaching I was trying to learn something every day I think with this role, it's that same approach. I want to make sure that I'm learning something and gaining new experiences every single day so that I can be the best version of myself, which will allow the talent that trust in us to work with me and to work with the complexity to be the best versions of themselves. Nice. Well, I do want to say thank you so much. I know I said 20, 30 minutes, and we've definitely gone past that. So thank you so much for giving me even more time uh, than we had previously talked about. Uh, is there anything you want to say before we close out here? I'm going to open it up and the mic is all yours. Talk to that fan sitting there right now going, damn, I want to be there one day. <laughs> yeah. So I'll, uh, I'll give you guys, I'll give the fans out there the advice that my mom always gave me that I tried my hardest and still do to stay true to. Um, if you're confused about what you want to do or how to get involved in esports. 
You need to find what you love to do and figure out a way to make money doing it. And that's how you set yourself up for a long-term successful work happiness. Um, so that's my, that's my nugget of advice. Um, I want to say a ma massive thank you to everybody who watches this and supports complexity or supports yourself. Without you guys, none of this is possible. Um, am I allowed to shout out the complexity sponsors? Oh yeah, definitely. So massive shout out to Lenovo Legion, a massive shout out to Miller Lite, to Dairy Max, um, to GameSquare, our parent company, all of these guys who help us uh, do what we do to Vivior, um, you know, without you guys and the support from the community, it would not be possible. So uh, stay tuned. We got some exciting stuff in the pipeline for complexity, but, and make sure you support the Halo team as they approach worlds. Um, but yeah, thank you all so much. Are y'all taking worlds? We're taking worlds. We got something special. We're we're gonna take worlds. You hear it here first, guys. Thank you guys so much for tuning in for another episode of the Gamers Edge podcast. Make sure you stay tuned, of course, for the web series uh, Gamers Edge Spotlight, uh, where we do talk to up and coming orgs and players and stuff like that. Uh, but until next time, guys. Peace. <laughs>